talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. Ticats will play the Argos in the semifinal. Got your Grey Cup tickets yet? Oski wee wee here, Scott Thompson! There we go. There we go. We're okay. Good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson, Willerskin, back on the board, and Ted Michaels, along with Diana Weeks in the newsroom. Feel free to jump into the fun. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Lots of ways to do that. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Another jam-packed show today. Lots of stuff going on. Man, uh, As uh, here we go again. It's time to do more COVID shows. Woo, we thought we had all gotten uh, sort of through this. And then all of a sudden, uh, the last couple of days, we're hearing about the South African variant and so on and so forth. Going to try to get you as much of the latest information on that as we possibly can. And, uh, you know, I think what's really important here, and uh, the U.S. president, I think, said it best when he said... uh, uh, there is cause for concern, but there's no cause for panic. And again, uh, a reminder that we all sort of knew that things were going to pick up a bit as we head into the fall and the winter and uh, get back inside. And here's what we're seeing. So, uh, again, it's something to certainly be aware of, certainly, to, you know, to keep the guard up. Uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, Ontario's top doc, obviously uh, up bright and early with a news conference today to try to settle concerns of Ontario, uh, of Ontarians. And here's what he had to say about these uh, cases of the uh, Omicron variant that are now in Ontario. Yesterday, it was announced that Ontario has confirmed two cases of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. Both cases were reported in individuals in Ottawa with recent travel from Nigeria. Ottawa Public Health is working diligently on conducting case and contact management, and both individuals are in isolation. I want to reassure Ontarians that we are prepared and ready to respond to this or any other new variant. The Ontario COVID-19 Genomic Network is continuing to actively monitor for all potential variants circulating in the province, including the Omicron variant and it is conducting genomic sequencing on 100% of eligible COVID-19 positive samples in Ontario. We also have the infrastructure in place to manage outbreaks, including high volume capacity for testing, with 230 assessment centers and community labs and over 500 pharmacies offering testing to those who need it. In order to rapidly identify and trace and isolate COVID-19 and its variants, we have already expanded eligibility for provincially funded COVID-19 PCR testing at all testing centers to individuals who have returned from or traveled in the following locations between November 1st and December 6th, 2021. South Africa, Botswana, Lesotho, Eswatini, Mozambique, Namibia, and Zimbabwe. I know that this news of the variant feels concerning, but 
vaccination in combination with public health and individual protective measures has been working to reduce the spread of COVID-19 and its variants in our communities. So please keep up this great work that has got us to this point in the pandemic. We will continue to keep you updated in the coming days and weeks as we learn more about Omicron. Put a little bit more of a local spin on this. Let's bring in uh, Michelle Baer, Director of Epidemiology, Wellbeing and Communicable Disease Control Division with the City of Hamilton. Michelle, thanks for the time. I know you're busy today. I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Scott. Yep, happy to be here. So obviously, uh, in this conversation over the course of yesterday and today, uh, we've heard the name Hamilton pop up. We know that there's two confirmed cases of the new variant in Ottawa. But let's clarify exactly what is happening with these cases in Hamilton. I understand it's not confirmed as the new variant, and this is all uh, just a a process, uh, an overabundance of caution uh, as these people traveled to that area. Can you expand on that in any way? Yes, so you're absolutely right. The two cases in Hamilton are two cases of confirmed COVID-19. They did have a history. They returned from traveling to South Africa. And for that reason now, um, that's why these are being further investigated. So what happens is the Provincial uh, Public Health Ontario lab will do some further genome sequencing on these particular uh, specimens to determine if, in fact, they are the Omicron variant. Do we know what percentage of, of those on this flight or those that tested positive, what percentage uh, percentage of those, or even in, in Africa itself, South Africa, what percentage of these cases are the new variant? No, I don't have that detail, Scott. Um, I mean, all of this, as you said, is emerging quite quickly. We just found out about the situation, you know, late last week, and now here we are now. So I would say the science is emerging and evolving quickly, and we'll wait uh, to determine both what it means, what like what the Omicron variant, why is it different, if it is, and as well, um, all those specifics around other cases, we'll have to wait and see. And when will the results come in regarding these Hamilton cases? When will we know? So for whole genome sequencing, it normally takes about 7 to 10 business days. I'm, I'm not sure where in the process we are. So I can't say for sure when they'll come back or if perhaps we'll get them sooner. But at this point, um, the two individuals, of course, are at home and they're isolating and uh, as well, their contacts are as well. Do we know their condition at, at this point? Are they well? So I can't speak to individual case details. We've not mm-hmm. done that throughout the pandemic. I would say that there's nothing unusual from these cases to others. Okay. And where, when did they test positive? Do, do we know that? At what point during this journey? So again, I can't speak to individual cases. I would say that they they had tested positive, uh, but I'm not going to say where that happened or when. Okay, and and once again, just to clarify what we do know, and as you've mentioned, I mean, obviously, this is very new information, and we're trying to figure out as much of it as we can. Uh, as far as the new variant, why is it such a cause of concern at this point? So at this point in time, when any new variant comes on the scene, and that's not unexpected for viruses, but just concern um, whether or not they have the ability to transmit easier, perhaps, um, whether there's more virulence attached, and of course, uh, concern as to whether or not the vaccines that we currently have are effective. And at this point in time, we don't have any information to suggest that, in fact, any of those are a risk right now, but we do have concerns about any new variant that we want to um, ensure that our measures we have in place are going to protect us all. And any advice for Hamiltonians at this point? 
Yeah, at this point, Scott, I would still say that the majority of our cases, in fact, over 99% of all COVID cases in Ontario are Delta variant. And as we know, um, two doses of a vaccine will protect you, uh, give you significant protection against COVID-19 Delta. So encourage everyone to go get a vaccine, stay home if you're sick, the usual, wear your mask um, and just practice those same public health measures we've been doing all along. Michelle Baird with us, Director of Epidemiology, Wellbeing and Communicable Disease Control Division, City of Hamilton. Michelle, thanks so much for the time on uh, what I'm sure is a very busy day for you. Be well. Thanks, Scott. Well, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. Talk about everything from Twitter to uh, Omicron to whatever else we can fit into this short period of time. Uh, Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am. Thanks for having me on, Scott. Uh, let's talk about the headspace, where we are right now on this Monday, now that we know the word Omicron, and, or sorry, Omicron, Omicron, this is the new South African variant, uh, now in Ontario, uh, per, uh, some unconfirmed cases in Hamilton, too, that have not been uh, confirmed, and two in Ottawa. Your thoughts, where does this put our headspace at this point in this pandemic? Well, I think now's the time to look back at all the best practices and the worst practices that we have engaged in over the past 20, 21 months. Because to act fast and to act prudently and to act with what we know works is really the thing to do. And yes, there are some people who are thinking, well, you know, we're jumping the gun, we're pulling the trigger. And there are also the same people who will start screaming, well, we knew what to do, why didn't we do it? Yeah. So it's a bit of a no-win situation, but I think that um, you know, the uh, airspace travel call was a good one. And I think that all those other calls are going to be good, too. And I think that there will be a really big push now, hopefully, for more vaccines, even though we're not sure how it interacts with the current batch of vaccines. But I think that being uh, putting this on red alert right now is the, is the right thing to do. Uh, interesting. Over the weekend, uh, President Biden and Dr. Fauci said this is cause for concern, uh, but not panic. And another thing to remember, especially in Canada, we're almost at well, we're over 90 percent with the first dose uh, in Ontario. And I think 86 percent for the second, which is which is just astounding. So we got to keep this in perspective. But again, you know, we also have to remember not to panic. Well, listen, nobody, okay, look, I heard Biden's um, uh, speech, and I also was listening to Fauci yesterday on Sunday morning. Wasn't that something? Well, and if you listen to the tone in which he was talking, he was pretty, still pretty deadly serious. Yeah. So while he says there's no cause for concern, there was a big but, dot, dot, dot. So, of course, you don't want to throw the country into panic because now we're entering a very important retail season. Now we're entering a point where people are starting to travel again. And they just did so over the Thanksgiving weekend. So when you take all of those things into consideration, you do have to be very careful with your words. All right, let's talk about Twitter. Uh, Jack Dorsey, one of the founders of uh, of Twitter, no longer CEO of the social media platform. Uh, what does this mean for anything? I remember prior to Donald Trump, everybody said Twitter would be gone in a day and a half, and then all of a sudden he sort of resurrected it. Uh, what is the future of Twitter, and, and how much of that do they owe to Trump? Well, first of all, the future of Twitter uh, really now has to do with many large companies that are pulling out of social media to begin with. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons Dorsey left, among others, is first of all, I think he's tired. 
Um, And second of all, you know, Twitter has become a place that has become, I I think it's a bit of a cesspool, to be quite honest, but people still use it to get out information and misinformation. And we know that those that, you know, if you don't agree with somebody, Twitter seems to be the platform where, hey, if you want to um, threaten somebody with online violence, it seems, oh, just go right ahead and do that. And if they turn off their comments, well, just go and direct message them and do it even worse there. So, you know, I just read that the uh, global uh, cosmetics company Lush has totally pulled out of social platforms because they're tired of the hate that comes their way. Um, I know that the Canadian Medical Association is talking now with Canadian representatives from big tech and saying, you need to do something. You need to expand your terms and conditions because, uh, you know, it's not right that you allow a lot of this online violence. To, to occur now dial back to what you mentioned about donald trump you know he kind of gay opened up the floodgates he made it okay to rear your ugly head if you had something mean to say and say well if you want to say it just say it forget the better part of decorum and the better part of valor and that maybe you shouldn't say everything that pops into your brain and that and that was where i think a lot of the hate and the vitriol started to ramp up can we get out of social media? Is that possible? You know, it would be interesting to see how people are going to do it. I'm going to be taking a look at Lush to see how they're going to do it. I think that insofar as trying to spread evidence-based health information, no matter on what it is, um, you should be able to do it without impunity. I don't know if we can, you know, creating behavior shifts, Scott, is hard. It's hard just to get people to contemplation. I think that people look at it as basically a part of their day as soon as they wake up and then before they go to bed. So can we get out of it? Um, I think that there are people who are trying to, but I hate to think that it's just so ingrained in our consciousness and in our regular day-to-day behaviors that it's not something that's going to happen overnight. I uh, can't let you go. Only got about a minute left. Your comments on the Jillian Maxwell case starting today. Uh, this was the person allegedly uh, helping Brian Epstein in his sexual exploitations of, of young girls and such. How significant will this be? This is supposed to be like a six-week trial. Oh, well, this is huge because, you know, Guylaine, Guylaine, that's how you say her name, Scott, Guylaine. Is it Jillian or Guylaine? Um, I've heard it pronounced 25 different ways. Same here. But anyways, I'm going to go with Guylaine because it sounds just that more madame um, <laughs> She's She, listen, I think that she's a linchpin in all of this. And I think that she was an international madame, uh, not just for Brian, uh, I mean, for um, Jeffrey Epstein, but... You know, she's got connections to, the, to Prince Andrew. She has connections all over the world. She was the one that they all went to. So, you know, and she's also from a very, very wealthy family. Her father, Robert Maxwell, had a huge yeah. um, uh, newspaper empire. People are really watching this. When I just pop this up now to see where this was at in terms of who's reporting on it, you know, people are giving, New York Times is giving live updates. So the New York Times decides that they're giving live updates. Somebody is paying a lot of attention to it. And I think that everybody is waiting for the other shoe to drop to see if something is said that incriminates Prince Andrew or really sheds light on what was going on with Jeffrey Epstein. So people are going to be watching this very, very closely, Scott. Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, lots of chatter about uh, up until this weekend and, and you know, the whole uh, 
Omicron thing. Up until then, we were talking about going back to work and what does the new workplace look like? How can things possibly be the same after so much has changed in such a short period of time? To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Patrick Stepanian, legal manager with Peninsula HR and is with us now. Patrick, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks. I am doing well. I hope you're doing well, too, Scott. So I'm thinking there is as much chatter going on right now in big boardrooms than there is uh, in, in, say, around the water cooler or would have been around the water cooler or the lunchroom in regard to what is happening. Uh, this is, how are companies looking at this? Uh, what's their perspective as opposed to how the employees are looking at this, meaning post-COVID-19 pandemic? Well, um <laughs> it's a bit of a difficult question since, as you said, with the Omicron variant popping up, there's a bit of a, well, wait and see now instead of rushing uh, right back into the workplace. Uh, I do know some of the bigger employers, I think uh, banks are likely putting off the return until uh, some a few months into 2022. Um, but uh, with other workplaces, uh, yeah, there's a sense of, you know, they've brought back some of their work, their workforce. They've got people back in the restaurants. And uh, they're just sort of a, a wait and see what uh, what signals we're going to get from uh, public health authorities. Uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, reasons for people going back, um, because obviously the old days, well, I got to go back because I've got to go back to work. I've got to plug into the machine that is whatever business I'm doing and, you know, be a part of that, be a spoke in that wheel. But obviously now with uh, technology, which has been around for a, a long time, but we've been forced into using it, things have changed. And it was interesting uh, reading in an article about, you know, the reasons that some employees are going for back to work number one was social life uh also uh, number two to get out of the house and then number three finally to compl- uh, to collaborate with other peers which is sort of work related but the first two aren't so really at the end of the day do we need to be going back so that's that is the big question um and as an employer really it comes down to evaluating what your business needs are there are some workplaces some industries where you know you probably do not need to be back in the office uh, or you just only need to be in the office, you know, a couple of days a week or one day a week. And it's going to be about reorienting for some of those employers towards that kind of model for that workplace and setting new expectations. Um, but at the same time, as you've mentioned, it's, you know, for a number of employees, you know, including myself, really, I still pop into the office once or twice a week. Um, it's nice to see another face. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to talk to someone in person uh, and, uh, there's just something a bit more, um, I guess, uh, instant about, you know, instead of having to get on Teams or Zoom and call someone or schedule a call to discuss a question, you just walk over to the cubicle or the desk and have the conversation right there. Do you think once we do go back, and again, who knows when that is, Patrick, because mm-hmm. you said it seems to be, you know, it keeps getting kicked down the road. Uh, but will we embrace this? I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure some will, some will not. But will the work experience at the office, at the plant, at the whatever be different than it was pre-pandemic? Uh, my my general expectation is that for yeah a number of workplaces, a number of industries, there's going to be a new sort of uh, normal or new arrangement. Um, now, having said that, I, I don't think all, I think the pandemic really more than anything has sort of just accelerated what was likely a slowly building up already. I, I know from mm-hmm. before the, the pandemic, there were already workplaces that were sort of starting to split their teams between the home and the office and having sort of, you know, an office space that's reoriented around 
well, once a week, the team has to come in and everybody will file into those cubicles there or that room there or these sort of ideas of hoteling stations. And so I think the pandemic's really accelerated that trend in certain industries rather than, you know, introduce something that's actually new. Um, but as a as an employer, you're going to have a couple of concerns there. And one of them is if you do, if you are, you know, you know, the first question will be, will you adapt and become flexible in this way with your with your your business needs in your workplace or won't you? And if you won't, then you might have issues with uh, what employees are looking for, because so, some employees will be looking for a lot more will be looking for flexible arrangements rather than, you know, back in the office Monday to Friday, nine to five. And if you're not offering those flexible arrangements, you might find yourself missing out on, you know, worker talent that you'd like to have. Um so there's going to be that sort of consideration that has to come into play. But then the other play is if you do become flexible and split your workplace, you know, let's say hybrid or you go full remote, um, how do you keep those people at home engaged? How do you keep them, you know, in terms of that socializing aspect from feeling too lonely? Um, how do you keep them from getting too much burnout? Because now they've got essentially work in the house. It's 24 seven. It's there. Mm. Um so quite a few different things to think about and, uh, you know, to start thinking about how, you know, what are your expectations, setting new expectations that adapt to this new reality? What are your policies and procedures going to be for this, these kinds of situations? Obviously, we've seen how tech has accelerated all of this. Again, as you mentioned, uh, things that are already there, options that are already there, this is just accelerated. Is there something else that's going to happen that we don't see coming at this point that will affect us the same way? Is there other change uh, across the horizon that we're, we're still not aware of but will be a result of this? That, yeah, I've... <laughs> um, There's a good I, one I, for you, Patrick. Yeah, I... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not much of a Nostradamus. I don't think I saw the pandemic coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and that's and that again, that's being our biggest change. And, you know, you combine that with, yeah, all these tech changes over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And all of a sudden, everything's just, you know, it's a gasoline on the fire of change, if you will. Um, so. Yeah, uh, right now it's it's. I think we're in a bit of a reactive mode. Um, but in terms of the changes we've just discussed, in terms of being flexible with your your future workplace arrangements, and for whenever the magical day comes that we have some kind of normalish return, um, it's about uh, getting ready to think about being a flexible employer with uh, with your workplace and what those expectations are that will need to be met in in a new a new sort of work arrangement. You know, a couple of days in the office, a couple of days at home, kind of thing. Patrick Stabanian has been with us, legal manager with Peninsula HR. What will the new workplace look like? Uh, Going to have to wait and see, really, because it's changing on a daily basis. <laughs> Patrick, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. Take care. Bye. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board. Ted and Diana have brought in their giant box of Tim Beebs into the roundtable room, and it'll be sitting in on the Lazy Susan and spinning it around the room feeling uh, free for everybody to pick their, their favorite taste of Beeb. Uh, good afternoon, Roundtable. Hope you're all doing well. Yes. There is and, no big box, though, but we picked, we picked at some. So. Well, I love the note that Rick Zamperin sent when this came in, that, oh, yeah, uh, the new Tim Beebs are here. Make sure you secure me a few so I can do a taste test on Good Morning Hamilton tomorrow. Yeah. So did you, did you put Rick's a little secu- uh, Rick a little secure box away so he would have something for tomorrow? Sure did. There you go. And hopefully they don't have bites out of them. So, uh, Can't promise we'll talk- that. 
kidding. We'll talk about that in just a second. Again, feel free. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com if you want to throw something on the table. All right, let's start, kids, with a poll question of the day. Uh, and here we go again, a new, vi- a new variant, the Omicron variant. Uh, are you concerned? That is the poll question of the day. And the answers so far are 38% are saying somewhat, tw- uh, 32% are saying very concerned, 29% saying not concerned. Ted, are you concerned about the new variant? No, I'm not. Why? uh, Because I think we've got a handle on it this time, and people are uh, um, worldwide, the World Health Organization, everything else, it just seems we we have a handle on this, and uh, I think that it won't be what people are blowing it up to be. All right, uh, Diana, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I think the same. I mean, I'm yeah. obviously concerned, but I think the key word here is concerned. They're not saying that we need to freak out about this. They're yeah. saying we're keeping an eye on it and we're in a much better position than we were uh, last time, you know. And and remember when the Delta variant came out too, we had the same kind of apprehension, the same kind of fear. Yep. So I feel like I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm worried, but I'm not going to like freak out because I think that we'll be okay. You know, and I looked this up just before the uh, we went on the air, and over 90% of Ontarians have had a first shot. Over 90, just over 90%, 86%, and this is 12 plus because we haven't measured the kids yet, uh, at 86%, over 86%. Those are astronomical numbers. Are you surprised by the amount of people that have gotten vaccinated? I mean, it's huge in this country. Well, I mean, I think that, like, I mean, the whole point, and, and reason why I think people were scared of Omicron is because they said that it was vaccine resistant. Yeah. So regardless of the numbers of vaccinated people, I mean, it's great. 90% is fantastic. But I think that's what people are scared of. It's like, well, great. We got our double vax. Now what? Now this thing is going to just come in and mutate and we're going to still get it. So I think that that's what the fear really is about. Yep. I agree with that one. And again, uh, even though it's not a perfect match, uh, and I had an epidemiologist talking about this, even though a, it's not a perfect match, it still is better than than having nothing. Uh, another another interesting take in all of this is everybody was chatting about how we have to send more and more vaccine uh, to underdeveloped countries that need this. Uh, apparently, uh, Africa, South Africa, has plentiful vaccine uh, vaccine uh, vaccination. The problem is getting it. Uh, distributed and a massive amount of vaccine hesitancy so until we get the whole world done i think we're going to see pop-up variants like this through the next year or so thoughts um i i get concerned when i hear oh god i'm gonna get in trouble for this one i get concerned when i hear you know uh we need to uh, help out other countries i understand that but let's help ourselves first get what we've done with 90 percent or whatever get as much as we can then talk about you know sending it over especially as you mentioned when africa south africa uh, has a a lot so i get a little concerned about that is it nimbyism no protectionism possibly i think just from a technical standpoint the issue is though if you focus entirely it's not the same as like putting on your mask at the airport it's about if you you know, focus just on getting yourself vaccinated. If you take too long, it mutates elsewhere in the world. That's the yeah, concern. You yeah, kind of want to yeah. balance it. You want to do both at the same time, if possible.
It'll be fascinating to see how this uh, the U.S. reacts to this, how it affects them, because their vaccination rate not quite as high as what it is in Canada to, uh, compared to how it uh, it reacts to the vaccine in Canada, especially uh, the same thing with uh, in Europe. I think in the next two weeks, how many times have we said that? In the next two weeks, you'll know, you'll know more about where this is going. Will this alter your holiday plans in any way, Ted, or is it too early for that? Uh, my plans will not be altered. I have not been altered again it's going to be you know just the immediate family nothing changes so i'm not concerned about that in the least uh a little too early for me as well diana your thoughts yeah too early i don't think so unless they come out with information saying that you know we need to you know be extra cautious and you know something else comes about with with regards to this comes out uh then yes but for now no all right. One of the advantages of getting back to the plant is there's Tim Beebs in the house. And uh, so Daddy misses out on that. But I understand Will has one right now and is going to do a taste test on the air right now. Will, go ahead, jump in there and uh, bite your uh, uh, whatever it is called, Tim Beeb, and tell us what you think. Hmm. I am legitimately tasting the Tim Beeb for the first time. <laughs> I am a fan of sour cream. I am one of those weirdos. I got the sour cream chocolate chip, which honestly, I, I liked the sound of it until I heard there was going to be chocolate chip involved. I just had a bite of this. This is really good. This is a good Timbit. I like it. Good. Well done, Bieber boy. It's Tim Beeb, not Bit. Uh, Ted, did, did you jump in there? What, what, what are your thoughts? Did you uh, rake them over there before they went into Rick's office? No, I had one just to see and uh, quite frankly was not impressed. That's that's me. That's me. And uh, Ted was hoping when you bite into it, you'd hear music. Be like opening up one of those cards. No, I'm I'm just a bit of a, a donut snob, as uh, somebody who is sitting uh, opposite from me and works with me on a daily basis pointed out. But Ted likes granddads. Yeah, and oh, rightfully my. so oh, because oh. they they are very so, good. So, so my sorry, go ahead. So so the Tim Beeb kind of nah. What one did you have, Ted? Was I don't it, know. Was it cho- was it chocolate? I don't know. It wasn't marked off. I just grabbed. <laughs> he, he grabbed the one that fudge. He grabbed the one that Will tossed back. <laughs> So my wife was at the uh, Jingle Bells Run down at the waterfront over the weekend and uh, stopped and got some granddad donuts on the way home. Ah, and, uh, ah, oh, see? yeah, yeah, the rest is history, as I'm they say. I'm telling you, yep. Oh, well, you know, we can't give the Tim Corporation all of the free publicity here, that's for sure. Uh, Diana, your thoughts on the uh, Beebs of Tim, or the whatever they're called, Tim <laughs> Beebs. Well, I only had one, like Ted as well. I uh, ran to our cafeteria, snuck one in, and then... Uh, How did you guys only have one? What, did they only bring you like half a dozen? No, because we were busy working to <laughs> scarf down donuts. <laughs> there wasn't, uh, there was there was quite a few, but I mean, obviously I, I put aside the ones that Rick had asked for and I ate one of mine. I also didn't want to be, you know, eating three Timbits. So there's, there's three there's three flavors. Do we know the flavors? Yeah. Chocolate white fudge, sour cream chocolate chip, and birthday cake waffle. I had chocolate white fudge, I believe. It was okay. It tasted like a chocolate Timbit. But maybe with some, like, white crunchy things on it? I, I don't know. It wasn't phenomenal. All right, your thoughts on what happened at Tim Hortons Field over the weekend, the big Cat game. Man, they don't make it look easy, do they? Uh, your thoughts on uh, what we saw, Ted? Game was not as close as the score indicated. Uh, I mentioned on Friday yeah. I, th- I thought it would be a blowout. It was close to a-, a blowout. And here's an early prediction for Sunday. The ti- <laughs> Tiger Cats 
will eviscerate the Argonauts. Argonauts. What? No, no, really? no, 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 no. This is Look not. At no, you go. no, no. This is not a matter of being a cheerleader. This is fact. It is hard for a team to beat another team four times in a season. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's very, oh, very difficult. Good, very difficult to do. And I really think that they will get eviscerated. And the interesting sidebar to this story is how many people are going to show up, not from Hamilton, but from Toronto, because there are rumblings, hard rumblings, that MLSC is basically throwing in the towel on the Argos and basically saying, we don't care. Uh, wow. Diana? I went to the game yesterday. Uh, mm. Beautiful snow. I mean, I bundled yeah, up. Great. I bundled up. Uh, you know, obviously enjoyed the game. I think we're going to be in good shape on Sunday when we go to BMO Field. But I just want to do a little bit of a shout out here. And I don't know if it's, it's not really a good positive shout out. Tim Hortons Field called Tim Hortons. And since we're on the topic of Tim Hortons right before this, they got to do something about their Tim Hortons coffee because it was cold. I was driving yesterday mm. and I... I went to get a coffee. This is probably the third or fourth time I've had coffee at this stadium. It either is not Tim Hortons or I, I don't I don't know. It's horrendous. Really? <laughs> horrendous. That's fascinating. I know. And you know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot of people might have wanted a good cup of coffee yesterday. It's snowing. We're at Tim Hortons Field. We're watching co- hockey, uh, football. And uh, also no hot chocolate. I don't know if they ran out. So they got to have more warm drinks for us DDs. And uh, yeah, that's Very just my point. little soapbox here. Very good point. And yeah. by the way, uh, not to say anything negative, but man, doesn't Mosaic Stadium look unbelievable? Yeah. And and how did they get that? I digress. Because uh, that's another... they spent $200 million on the stadium and didn't go cheap like we did. Did you see the sky in that game last it's, night? Yeah. That it's was incredible. Unbelievable. Anyway, sorry. All right, we're yeah. out of time. It is uh, thank you, Roundtable, as always. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. How many times have you heard the uh, the phrase supply chain since uh, this global pandemic started? Uh, I guess you could go back as early as toilet paper uh, during the first wave and see where we are now and how sensitive uh, we are to the supply chain and, and, and virtually this global village that we now live in. How will things change in this supply chain moving forward in a post-pandemic uh, world. Obviously, uh, we've seen some issues and and some bottlenecks. Uh, we know this is also a very efficient way to do business. Does that change in a post-pandemic world? Let's bring in Andre Sire, uh, Associate Professor in Operations Management, Department of Management, University of Toronto, Scarborough, uh, Rotman School of Management. Andre, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hello, Scott. Very nice meeting you. I hope you're good as well. So far, so good. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, we've certainly heard a lot about uh, supply chain and learned a lot about how supply chains work over the course of this uh, global pandemic, whether it was the vaccine and, and getting that distributed or, or even goods and services that we're seeing now. But, you know, and, and we know that it's a, a, a very quick system. Things in, in, in product will, will may go across the border several times before the product is actually complete and such. But after and what we've seen with this global pandemic and the bottle uh, bottlenecks that have that have uh, come up, how is this likely to change this very complex system moving forward? Oh, uh, that's an excellent question. Something that we're talking a lot uh, with our students, with the future leaders in the area, right? How the supply chain is going to change? Well, I think there are some initiatives nowadays just to make sure that we have still have our products during Christmas and so on that you're seeing now. For example, we have increasing capacity. But 
I think the most interesting things that are coming up now is, let's say, maybe try to relax a little bit of this idea of just in time to have things, to have the minimal inventory as possible, to have this strong communication with, uh, let's say, not, not try, try to make things in order, uh, up to order, but not being, so, uh, not being so conservative in terms of how much inventory you hold. So among those initi different initiatives that we see now, uh, we definitely going to see the use of more data in the sense that we're going to have more data and transparency, how we can communicate information faster throughout the supply chain. For example, if you see the demand increasing at some point, you want to make sure that your suppliers know so that they can produce that uh, more effectively to produce the components they need more effective for that. And another thing, I don't know, Scott, that you, uh, you have heard, but there is this idea that is coming up now more and more of verticalization, right? Uh, the idea that the companies, they're going to start, the supply chain companies are going to start controlling more their operations, their logistics and their transportation more closely so that they don't get disrupted so easy. So for example, you can see this a little bit with Apple that they are producing their own M1 chips and they control, uh, they're running away a little bit from Intel. So in that way, they can have more control and what can happen during the disruption. So I think that this idea of verticalization, relaxing a little bit just in time to have more stockpiles and also using more data and transparency across the supply chain, some initiatives that we are seeing left and right. And obviously, we, obviously, we see what we have and things are operating the way they are to be as efficient as they possibly can to be uh, as cost effective and, and as profitable mm -hmm. as they possibly can. Obviously, with what you're talking about, being better prepared is going to add cost to all of this. So how do we balance this now? How do we decide what we keep in house, what we're going to farm out? And if we get it in a day or a week, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think that if you find that out, please let me know that we can write a paper together and be super famous. <laughs> it's really a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. So um, I think that's it's always a trade-off, right? So what are the levers that the company they have now? They, they are trying to increase their, their capacity. Uh, so, for example, they are trying to, as you know, they are building more uh, semiconductor fabrication plants throughout they're increasing their capacity. So all of this is to hedge against this uncertainty in supply chain. They're trying to uh, hire more people. Even Biden said now that, hey, let's have people in ports working 24 seven. Uh, but all of this has a consequence, right? Higher costs to, to customers. And I think that at this moment, because we don't know what's gonna happen in the long-term, this is something that we're gonna see higher prices that's uh, they're gonna transfer those costs from the disruptions uh, and also in a way to control demand, right? They're going to increase their price so that the demand is a little bit more controlled. We are seeing this a lot with uh, computer devices, computer components with memory, uh, hard disks, uh, solid state drives, uh, graphics cards. Uh, so unfortunately, I don't know how to answer this question because at this point, we are just seeing the prices increasing. And I think that's going to continue for a while until the companies can figure out what to do. And the reason why they are still okay in doing that is because people are still buying. Right, so you can mm. see uh, the the profit from AMD, Intel has just skyrocketed as well, skyrocketed as well in this last few uh, years. So while people are still willing to buy, they're still going to transfer those costs, uh, unfortunately, at some point. Does this mean, as we see changes in supply chain management moving forward, does this mean more work, more business for Canadians, more opportunity here? Um, I believe so. I believe there will be more opportunity because 
Uh, and this is an interesting perspective. It is not in the benefits of the companies for the situation to continue like this. They are losing customers. They're losing demand. They are keeping people out of their ecosystem, right? If you buy an Apple computer, for example, you want to make uh, you want people to buy an Apple computer so that they or Microsoft computer so that they use their systems there. Or they, when you buy a car, you tend to to uh, you tend to connect to the brand. So they want to make sure that people are still buying. So it's not the benefit of the companies to continue this disruption. And I think that to address this, they have to think about new ways of uh, uh, of addressing those problems. And that will be new opportunities in different ways. Uh, labor. Definitely, they are hiring more people. And I think that the issue now is that they don't have enough people uh, to, to hire. That's a labor shortage is a big issue in the supply chain. So there will be more opportunities there, uh, especially when you think about prime delivery. Amazon is looking for uh, drivers uh, for people to, to deliver their packages. And also more technology opportunities, right? If you're working with data, if you work with a blockchain, definitely you're going to be in a good position because that's definitely one of the ways companies will, will leverage try to improve their uh, their, their procedures, uh, their operations. Yeah. Andre Sire with us, Associate Professor in Operations Management, University of Toronto Scarborough Rotman School of Management. Andre, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you so much, Scott. Nice talk to you. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Obviously, concern is spreading about the Omicron variant of COVID-19, which uh, pretty much has surfaced over the course of this weekend, seeing uh, travel restrictions with South Africa and such. How much do we know about this? Let's get a U.S. perspective. Dr. Rodney Rohde is with us, professor and chair of the Clinical Laboratory Science Program at the College of Health Professions with Texas State University and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Good afternoon, Scott. Here we are again. I know, I know. Here we are hoping, we, Rodney, after a bit of time. One, yeah, can we get through one holiday without major breaking news around this virus? I don't think it's going to look like it anymore. I hear you. So what is it in, what's the situation in the U.S.? Cause I understand we have a uh, three confirmed cases of this now, uh, in Canada. Any word in the U.S. at this point? I understand, uh, this will spread fast. It's just a case of time. Right. As of right now, I've seen nothing in the U.S., but I, I would not be surprised to see that pop up, as you know, any moment. One of the, I think one of the things that the general public is learning with exposure to, you know, public health epidemiology 101 over the past two years is that even with testing, even with, you know, massive testing surveillance and things like that that you put in place, the virus is always a week, 10 days, 14 days ahead of those tests because of symptoms and things like that. So typically, travel bans, which you just brought up, they're really not going to work. Uh, they can slow things down. Uh, you can certainly put in place, you know, uh, guidelines around quarantining and testing for people coming in or going. But, but overall, Strict travel bans just don't work when it comes to a virus. The virus is always days, if not weeks, ahead of that testing. So over the course of this pandemic, Doctor, we've seen many variants, uh, some of concern, some not of concern. Why is this uh, Omicron uh, variant, why is this of a concern? Well, I think if you look at the early data, and let's make sure the public understands this. I've been talking about this a lot today. Uh, we still need to watch. We really need to look at this variant over the next 10 days to two weeks. Uh, research testing, epidemiology testing is going on right now to try to see 
if truly it's any more severe than Delta or any other variant. It looks like it may be, with early reports, it might be uh, easily transmitted, but that's not as huge of a concern. The, the bigger concern is, does it cause mortality? Does it cause severe illness? Uh, do the vaccines, you know, do they continue to be effective against it? That's the big questions. And so we're watching that. Early information out of South Africa and elsewhere that I've been following uh, shows no major you know, concerns at the moment. Uh, what's interesting, Scott, uh, just a kind of a quick side note on this that I've been following today that popped up is right where it started in that in that area. You know, one of the biggest issues uh, that we're continuing to face is vaccine equity. So yeah. Africa and other places like that are basically brewing uh, brewing pots, you know, for viruses to mutate. And if we don't get in, and by we, I mean the greater global community, do a better job of getting vaccines everywhere, not just in the U.S., Canada, and other places that can either, you know, get access to them or what have you, we're going to continue to see this problem. And with travel bans, We've... what's crazy is that it's also uh, one of the latest things I've been following is with travel bans put in place against South Africa, the very testing reagents and other things they need to follow the viruses spread, they're running out already because no planes are arriving with with testing reagents and supply mm. chain issues. So it, it's it's a double-edged sword, you know, when you put in those massive travel vans because you also impede supplies and other things from arriving. We've talked at length about vaccinating the rest of the world in order to get ahead of this and, and, and are not safe until we do so. We're hearing that, and President Biden commented on this, Dr. Fauci as well, uh, over the weekend, that there's plenty of vaccine in Africa, South Africa. The problem is uh, the distribution channels aren't as strong and there's a lot of hesitancy. How do we combat that? How do we fix that? Yeah, that's, you know, much like much like the U.S., I mean that's the problem. I think is those distribution channels finding ways to get it into remote areas. That's one problem that we need to work with. You know, different different abilities, whether it's the military or other agencies that can find ways to get that that supply chain into those remote areas. And then the hesitancy issue is is its own problem. I'm you know the ongoing education, the ongoing uh, information to get to people that is that is accurate and hopefully. Uh, able to to encourage people to get that vaccine is is an ongoing problem and i see that continuing with the massive you know misinformation and other things out there so that's just going to be an ongoing effort by all on board all hands on deck for that when will we know how dangerous this can be will it take a couple of weeks will it take 14 days before we know how how this variant uh, will react to vaccine yeah i think i think 14 days to to three weeks, we should know something because what they're going to do right now, Scott, is they're going to start looking immediately at patients who are infected and who are showing symptoms. They'll start testing their serum, their antibody, and see if if it's effective with respect to neutralizing uh, the virus itself. So they're going to do some in-house testing on those South African patients. I'm sure it's going to start happening in places like you know Germany and Scotland and Portugal and these other places that they're seeing cases. And that's the first thing you do is you start seeing, you start testing the effectiveness of the vaccine. Is it still neutralizing uh, that particular variant? And as you know, as you dig into this, you get into the weeds of this. There are also, you know, virologists and others looking at the actual virus using different types of, of microscopy, high-powered microscopy and other tests to, to find the, the various mutations on the surface of that spike protein 
as well as using molecular techniques to see if there's any specific issues around whether it's vaccine production, whether it's antivirals, whether it's other types of, of medications that might be uh, less effective. So that's, that's just something we're going to have to wait and see probably in the next two weeks. Dr. Rodney Rohde with us, professor and chair of the Clinical Laboratory Science Program at the College of Health Professions, Texas State University. Rodney, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks so much, Scott. Remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Keep there you go. <laughs> it was interesting uh, talking to uh, Dr. Uh, Rodney Rohde uh, out of uh, Texas State University, and he starts the conversation of, well, here we go again. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I can understand the frustration that people are feeling as we start talking about new variants. And, you know, we had done so well with sort of putting uh, the COVID-19 to the at least the second burner or the third burner on the stove uh, in, in, in terms of priority on the show. But uh, obviously today, lots of people are talking about the Omicron variant and what it means moving forward. Uh, and most importantly, uh, is the vaccination process that we have enough to combat all of this? Questions that we're still trying to find answers to. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Omar Khan, Assistant Professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and the Department of Immunology, University of Toronto, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, Omar, obviously during this course of, of this pandemic, there's been many variants out there. Some have been variants of concern and we've, we've taken note of others, not so much. What is it about the, uh, Omicron variant that has everyone's attention that makes it a variant of concern? It's actually the number of mutations. And it looks like of those mutations, when we've seen them individually in the past, it tended to mean that it can infect people more easily and it transmits more easily and causes more severe disease. And to see all of those kind of in one is what's giving people pause. And that's why the race is on to figure out if people who are vaccinated are well protected against it. You talked about the spikes, and we've all seen those those shots, those pictures of, of, of what this does look like. Uh, is that what makes uh, people take note, scientists take note, or are we already seeing that the rates of transmission are a little easier with this variant? It's hard to know. Part of the issue is that it's spreading in different parts of the world. Everywhere has a different amount of vaccine uptake, and that's part of the issue because if people are vaccinated and the environment has it, then we can know straight away if the vaccines work. So as it works through, we'll see. But that's one of the big problems with vaccine inequity is when something pops up in an area that has very poor vaccine uptake, it's difficult to know right away. We have talked at length what it means to get the rest of the world vaccinated and to, to truly make us all safe and such. Uh, obviously, we know the situation uh, and, and what's happening in South Africa. We're hearing they have an abundance of vaccine, uh, that that's not the problem. The problem is getting that vaccine distributed and also combating hesitancy. That's always been a problem. It's been a problem here and other places in the world, even in Europe. Right. We've seen these spikes in their populations too. Sweden, for example, it's a challenge that goes all around the world. And I think part of it is education. We need to have more conversations about this. And I also think we need to speak more broadly about the other impacts of the virus. It's not just you getting sick and potentially dying, but we have to look at what's happening in our healthcare systems. Hmm. If our hospitals have to lock down to take care of people, 
That means they make more ICU beds by taking away capacity from the rest of the hospital. People can't get in to do their regular diagnostics. We don't know if people are contracting other diseases, if they are, should be diagnosed for cancer. Like we, it's, it's tough now. So yeah. we're going to have problems down the line and they're already starting where we're seeing people are missing important diagnosis and getting the help they need. And that's a big problem. So that's beyond COVID. So there's so many elements to this that we really have to pay attention to. When will we know how dangerous this variant is? Is this a, another scenario where we're going to have to wait uh, 14 to 21 days till see how this matures before we know exactly what we're dealing with? That's correct. It's going to be at least a few weeks. But now that we're seeing it spread across the world and into other areas like in Europe and a bit in Canada, too, we're going to have a better idea of that. Unfortunately, it's spreading because it's contagious and, and that's that's an issue. So it, it's a sad calculus, but it, it will help us know sooner. But it's not not the way we want to do this. It's awful. Do we know anything about those that have come down with this variant? Do they appear to be getting any more sicker? Uh, do we know the health of anyone with this variant and how this compares to others? That's still an open question. We mm. do know that Delta does cause severe disease for the unvaccinated and partially vaccinated. So it's teasing out the difference between the two are it's going to be tough. One of the best ways we can do this is to actually look at what version of the coronavirus people have and track that. At least we can tell if it's transmitted more and then we can then correlate it with how severe the disease is. But yes, unfortunately, we don't have that information now and we don't want to be anecdotal about this it has to be done appropriately and right uh many are asking the question of how effective uh the vaccines will be uh with this new variant we're we're hearing that moderna uh with them with their mrna vaccine that they've already started working on this sequence and hope to have something available uh early next year how are the vaccine companies addressing this well particularly for the mRNA vaccines, they are what we call platforms. Most of the vaccine remains the same. All they do is update the mRNA, the code inside, and then it's good to go. So it actually is very quick and easy to do. That's why people think it's the next step in technology. It's just mm. wonderful. But the problem is, how do you regulate that? And I think regulatory bodies are now looking at, you know, Every time you do an update, should you go through a full clinical trial or do you get a shortcut like we do with the normal flu vaccine where, mm. you know, you say that the majority of it is the same, small update, it's safe, approve it. So that's going to be the break point. We'll have to figure out how the regulatory bodies decide to regulate this. And I think it will be adapting potentially a smaller clinical trial. And then eventually it'll be like the flu the flu vaccine, but until then, a lot of regulators have a lot of hard work to do to figure this out. That was my next question, doctor. It almost sounds like a, a flu shot, where every year they come up with a different formulation for it, depending upon you know what they've seen the season before. That's right, and interestingly enough, with the mRNA vaccines, it's even easier than that, because it's literally a few uh, code changes in the mRNA, so everything else is the same, which is, makes it very, very flexible. And that's why 
you know, it could potentially be easier for the regulatory bodies to be okay with it being updated. But again, everything has to be done appropriately. The general public, you and me, everybody has to have the utmost confidence that it's been safely put through regulatory process. And, and we want to make sure everyone has the maximum amount of confidence in this. Uh, that is uh, certainly reassuring. Uh, that being said, uh, what advice do you have for Canadians who are concerned about this? Well, it's the same moves we had before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your best tool is vaccination for now and uh, physical measures like masks and distancing if you can, ventilation. That's that, Nothing will change with that until we get this kind of resolved globally. So keep that in mind. We just have to be cautious until we figure out really the nature of this. And, you know, we've been doing it all this time. Everyone's fatigued. But I think the public should also start talking about seeing this globally, because if we do that, then we won't see anything new popping up and we can get past this. So I think now hopefully we can stop looking just at our local areas and just look out and and around the world and, and get this sorted. That's a good point, especially as things become more whatever the new normal is going to be here back home. Dr. Omar Khan with us, assistant professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology with the University of Toronto. Doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks. Stay safe, everybody. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today. Will is on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom. Joining us, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. And, of course, uh, we'll be on after the 6 o'clock news tonight. Good afternoon, Scott. Hope you're doing well. I am. And I read about the Genesis show. I didn't go. And I saw the say, you know, what's sad is when you read that Phil Collins barely could walk out with a cane and had to sit through the whole thing. And, you know, it's, it's just a reminder that we're all... We're all eventually moving on up, and it's uh, it's not the '80s anymore. Yeah, very true. And you know, if you if you want to see that and you you accept that, then you know why sit and point fingers like, look at them now. I mean, at what time? At what point does it become a good show versus just a circus? So yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how long it all lasts. But I understand that uh, Phil's having some financial issues, so kind of needs this for mm-hmm. the cake. Anyway, let's move on. Omicron, Omicron, sorry, Omicron. I pronounce it three different ways all day. It's a new transformer. (laughs) That was Will's joke earlier last week. Yes, I've stolen it a million times, though. Uh, Marvel bad guy, then. We had that one, too. Uh, So uh, what are your thoughts on this? You know, I I was talking to Dr. Rodney Rohde out of Texas earlier today, and he goes, here we go again. Uh, And, and, you know, people are, you can can see it kind of deflating people because we thought this crap was behind us. I really think a lot of this is for us, for Canada, because our vaccination rates are through the roof with over 90% with the first dose. This is 12 plus. And then uh, like 86 or 87 for the second dose. So I don't think we're going to see as much of an impact here. That being said, we're not going to know for another 14 to 21 days. Uh, how do you think Canadians are going to accept this? Well, I guess we don't um, have a choice. That's, 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 that's true for sure. Um, how they're going to accept this. I'll tell you, I think how they're going to accept this. If this turns out that the optimist Scott Thompson is true, is right, and our vaccinations prevent this, then we're going to be just fine. But if it turns out that this is like Delta, where we hear that, you know, your typical vaccination doesn't do much, 
And suddenly now, as we approach Christmas, we've got this massive outbreak of this new form of this variant that can't be controlled, and governments are having to say, hey, folks, guess what? Party's over, back in your house. I don't think we're going to accept it very well at all. And, and You know, I, I was just I talking just, to Dr. Omar Khan, a uh, biomedical engineer, and he said with the new uh, mRNA vaccines, and Moderna's already working on this, it's literally, they, it's just, it's the same platform, they just change elements of it. And he said it's unbelievably amazing how quickly they can come up and adjust this vaccine, which was true. encouraging. But you, that means that you need 38 million people back in line to get another vaccination. Yeah. And, and I think I think what we're doing here, Scott, is like it's, it's like it's an on or an off switch, and that's not the case. Uh, I, I think what's happening is it's not a case of if the the vaccine we currently use will be effective against uh, the Omicron. Uh, it's how effective it will be. So again, still having the juice running through your veins, this is still a variant of the COVID nineteen vaccine. It's just a case of of you know almost like a tinker toy changing another piece of it yeah, in order. So it's I, not like it either works or it doesn't work and as you said about the delta the delta is the prominent virus right now and it works fine with the vaccine so again they said like 21 days before they know exactly where they stand yeah and that'll take us right till just about christmas when we're yeah, uh, yeah, having yeah. to deal with this I mean, it doesn't look like we're going back anytime soon scott well we get flu shots or some people do every year and flu shots are a guess about which strain of the influenza virus are going to be out mm-hmm. there and so sometimes mm-hmm. you can get the flu shot and it does nothing for you and so yeah look i i there is a part of me, and, and I, you know, I don't want any more government intervention than we already have, um, but th- there is a part of me that looks at this, and we were talking about this last week, and in fact, we're going to talk about it on the show later, um, that says, you know, when you start hearing that this is coming from a region, a broad region, I'm not just pointing at South Africa, because that's not the only place, clearly. I think we're hearing that the one in Canada that we're finding was from Nigeria, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it, maybe we should have learned something from the first time and said, you know what? For the next two weeks, uh, flights from the entire continent are not coming into Canada until we figure this thing out so we can try and control this. Because the first time, remember what happened when we said, hey, maybe we should stop flights from China? And people said, well, that would be racist. And then weeks later, they said, well, actually, we should probably not have flights from China coming in. It's not stopping Chinese people. It's people who are coming from China, no matter what their background is, because that's where the outbreak was. And so, you know, I don't know. I I hope that this thing becomes a giant, you know, you and I and everyone else talks about it for a few days and then it blows over and with nothing and we just have fun about the name. But my goodness, Scott, if this thing turns into round number two of absolute devastating impact, and who knows, uh, we're going to look back at this and go, why did we not? learn from the first time and take much harder stand and take this much more seriously and say, you know, it's not convenient, but you know what else is not convenient? Going to the start of this thing, have everyone black in their houses and not being able to go to work and not being able to go out. Scott Radley has been with us, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can hear him coming up right after the 6 o'clock news and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator with more on all of this. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. 5.57, that's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Will, Ted, and Diana for contributing. Now it's your turn. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, 
to have the last word. Or maybe not. Silence is golden. Hit the Christmas decorations. That's what it was. Hey, 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 hey.